And uh, we do have small groups signing up. We're signing up right now for small groups. If you're interested, there are tables uh, out in the foyer area, and uh, there should be somebody at those tables if you have any questions. There's also a, a little brochure that you could take to check out small groups. So I hope you'll uh, look into that, and I hope you consider being in a small group. I know several of you already have. Um, and uh, I hope you'll do that. Also, let me mention another ministry. We've got another ministry that's uh, getting ready to, uh, to kick off here real soon. It's called the Titus II Ministry. Michelle Sorensen is going to lead that. It's a ladies ministry. It's ladies ministering ladies. And so that's going to be a great ministry. And there'll be more information in the bulletin and on the website about that. And we'll tell you more about that uh, in, the, in the following days. All right. Well, I've got to be honest with you. Last night I slept about three hours and I'm wondering where I am right now. All right, so uh, I don't know why. I just couldn't sleep last night. And I told Donna, I said, you got to pray for me. I'm like in a zombie world right now, but uh, I'm going to make myself through this. And so I just need you to help pray for me. I've got one more announcement. Yesterday was kind of an historic day. Our own Jerry Campbell, who turned 90 years old about a month ago, he skydived out of an airplane yesterday. Can you believe that? Where is, where's Brother Jerry at? Is he in here? All right, Brother Jerry, I, you got to stand up, Brother Jerry, so they know who you are, okay? I know you're a humble man. Go ahead and stand up. All right, go ahead and stand up, all right? He's here. <laughs> so we videoed him jumping out of that, and, and uh, I, I said, you know, I, when I turn 90, I'm going to jump out of a, a skydive too, you know, because I don't plan on living that long. But, uh, uh, and then I have a lot of years to change my mind before I get there, all right? So, uh, but that was pretty amazing. So uh, that was a neat thing yesterday. Uh, let's do this. Let's have a word of prayer. Our pastor is in, uh, is, is he in Ohio? Uh, his, uh, Kim's brother is getting married. So they're at a, at a wedding. I think it might've been yesterday, isn't it? And so they were at the wedding. So they're out of town. So uh, you're stuck with me today, but uh, we're going to have a good time. I appreciate you coming. I'm, I'm glad that Fred didn't scare you off or Grace didn't scare you off and you came anyway. All right. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our service today. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have just to be at church today, to come and worship you. And we thank you for the great God that you are. And Lord, I pray that you would meet with us today. Lord, I need your help right now, and I need some strength, and I pray you give it to me, and I pray you'll guide my thoughts, and uh, that everything I say will be pleasing to you. And I pray, Lord, for everyone that's in this sanctuary, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open and attentive to what you have for us from your word today. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that they've never come to that point in their life when they've trusted you as their Savior, that today they'll see how much you love them, how much you care about them, and how much you want to save them and forgive them of their sin. And I pray that could, today could even be their day of salvation. So Lord, I pray you bless this service and everything that's in it and that it'll all bring glory to you. And Lord, that's our goal today is to bring glory to you. And so bless us now as we open up your word and we look at it. And we read it and we apply it to our life today, Lord. And again, I ask your blessings on it and guide my thoughts. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Pastor Faez for the last several weeks has been speaking on prayer. And uh, he spoke many great messages on prayer. He spoke on what a lot of times we call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer and talked many weeks about prayer. And I'm going to kind of come in on the back end of that. And today um, I want to speak about hope. I want to speak about hope hope in our life, that Jesus Christ is our only hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Um, if someone was to ask you, just how big is God to you? You know, is God all-powerful? Is God all-knowing? Uh, is God everywhere? I think all of us in here would say, yes, I, I believe those things about God. I believe that God is all-powerful. I believe God's all-knowing. I believe that God is present. I think all of us 
would say that. Well, then let me ask you this question right here. I thought of this, this kept coming in my mind this week. If you can trust God with your eternity, let me give him a chance to get that up, there we go. If you can trust God with your eternity, can you trust him with your life on earth? You know, I put my, my trust in God to take me to heaven. I, I, when I was 15 years old, I asked him to come into my heart and forgive me my sins, and I've been saved since I was 15, and I'm trusting him with my eternity. Well, if I can trust him with my eternity, can I also trust him with the things that come in my everyday life? You know, living here in, this week in Tallahassee, this whole week, we've heard so many things about Coach Bobby Bowden. And you're probably like me, he's on the news, and you've probably watched some videos. And I watched several videos this week of, of people giving a, a story of them and their relationship with Coach Bowden. Some of them were former players or coaches that were with him. Some of them were just friends. And every one of them, every one of them without exception, talked about his faith. Because that was what was foremost in his life, was his faith. A great Division I football coach, I think he's got the second most wins ever out of probably a few thousand coaches through the years. And yet, that wasn't the most important thing in his life. It wasn't the, it wasn't the football team. It was the boys that were on the team and that he could show them and live out the gospel of Jesus Christ, live out his faith in front of them. He said it was faith, family, and then football. And testimony after testimony after testimony was how he lived out his faith in front of them. He told his players that he believed God called him, God's will for him was to be a football coach. But he took that being a football coach and he used it as his platform to share his gospel in Jesus Christ. You see, sometimes we think, well, you're only, that's only for pastors, that's only for full-time Christian service, but that's not true at all. Really, every believer is in the ministry of serving the Lord, is out there the light of the world, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter if you're a coach or a teacher or a plumber or whatever you might be, or retired or whatever, it does not matter. We still are to be the light in this world of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now today I want us to look at John chapter 11. So if you'll open the scriptures to John chapter 11. And I want us to see today that Jesus Christ is our only hope. And you're going to know this story. Pretty much everybody in this auditorium is going to know this story. You're going to be familiar with it. You're going to be able to relate to it because you've probably heard it before. But I want us to look at Jesus Christ, our only hope. Now, in the gospel of John, if you were to look at a theme, the, probably the main purpose of this book was this to show what Jesus did, and even more importantly, to show who he was. To show that he was God in the flesh, that he was the son of God. So John gives these accounts in this, in this gospel of John, and he writes it out through inspired, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he writes many things out, and he writes it to show that this is what Jesus did, but let me tell you why he did it, because this is who he is. And in the gospel of John, there were like seven main, I guess you could say signs, or you might even want to say miracles, that John describes that show exactly who Jesus is and what he did. I'm just going to mention them to you. The first one was the very first miracle of Jesus in chapter 2, which was changing the water into wine at the wedding. The second one was Jesus healing a royal officer's son in Capernaum. That was in chapter 4. Then in chapter 5, he healed a paralyzed man in Bethesda. And then one that's very well known is chapter 6 where the feeding of the 5,000 people where he has uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. 
And then uh, number, six, number five was when Jesus walked on the water. And you remember Peter walked on the water a few steps also in chapter six. And then the sixth one was he healed a blind man who had been blind from birth. But today I want to talk about this seventh one. I want to talk about the seventh one, and that is this, the raising of Lazarus. Now remember, these miracles had one purpose, and that was to show who Jesus really is. So today, I want us to look at the raising of Lazarus. This is a story that involves two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. This is the same Mary that ended up taking her hair and anointing the feet of Jesus and wiping uh, his feet with her hair this is that same ones that anointed him for, for uh, him going to the cross and dying on the cross and being buried. Now, here's an interesting thing about this. This story is only told in the book of John. I, I, at first I thought it was probably in all four gospels, but it's not. It's only in the book of John. John is the only one who gives this account. So let's start reading in John chapter 11 and let's read the first four verses. It says, now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, notice this, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now let's skip down to verse 14 and 15. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. This almost sounds like a contradiction, because in one verse he said, this is not a sickness that leads to death, and he turns around in a few verses later and says, Lazarus has died. But Jesus has something so much more important than what they understand. He has died. You know, death is that great enemy that we dread. Maybe sometimes we even live in denial because we don't want to think about death, especially when we're younger. We don't even want to think about the fact that we could die at a young age. We'd rather not think about it, but death comes anyway. Uh, if you stop and think about it, if the rapture doesn't take place in 100 years from now, every one of us in this auditorium, even the young ones that are the youngest, will probably have passed away. It's going to come. Some of us will live maybe longer than expected. Some of us will live much shorter than expected. But, you know, I don't think Mary and Martha are any different than you and I. They had a brother who was ill, ill to the point of about to die. And I don't think they were any different. They did exactly what all of us would do. They're seeking help to try to save their brother's life. So they're seeking out. And so they sin and they say, uh, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now more than likely, these sisters stayed back with their brother and they sent someone to tell Jesus. It doesn't tell us who it is. But the thing that was on their mind is this, our brother's about to die. We need Jesus. If someone doesn't come and, and, and help him, he is going to die. So this is the message sent. And it's interesting how they appealed to Jesus. They said, the one that you love is about to die. They don't say come quickly. They just say he's about to die. That gives the come quickly in itself. So Jesus is the one they turn to. He is their hope. But Jesus does a most unusual and interesting thing as we just read. He waited and he waited on purpose. Now, that doesn't seem to make any sense at all, does it? I mean, this is, a, this is an emergency. I mean, why would he just wait? If someone comes up to me and says, 
your father's about to die or your so-and-so's about, and someone that I'd love, man, I would be ready to jump in my car and go now. But Jesus steps back and says, okay, and he does nothing. He just keeps doing what he was doing. And he does not go immediately. He does not go. Why does he allow this to happen? He said it's because of glory, to give glory to God. Now, let's look at verse uh, John chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus is ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. But wait a minute. It's an emergency. Why aren't you going? It almost seems like he's uncaring or maybe even selfish with his time, but we know that he's Jesus and it's not true. And listen to this. When I look this up, you know how far Bethany is from Jerusalem? Just two miles. Just two miles. Even back in the days when they were walking, just two miles, that would just take a short amount of time. So in just two miles, he could be there to help, but he doesn't go. He doesn't go. Back to verse four, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Here it is. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So eventually he says after two days, okay, it's now time to go. So he gets up and in verses 14 and 15, as we read, it says that he told them plainly that he's died and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now let's talk about grieving with hope. Probably most of us in here, somewhere in our life, we've grieved over losing someone to death that we've loved. We know what it is to grieve. We know that, that deep pain, that hurt, that grief that comes on us. It sometimes lasts for a long time, maybe even days, weeks, or even months, and sometimes for some people even years. We know what that grief feels like, and it hurts. Let's look at verse 17. Notice the response of Jesus when he does get there. John 11, verse 17 through 22. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. When Martha hears that Jesus is approaching, Mary stays in the house, but Martha runs out to him. And what does Martha do when she gets there? She says, Lord, he's already died. If you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. You were the one we, we pulled out to. You're the one we reached out to. And if you would have come, he wouldn't have died. I believe that. But then she says, but I know that anything you ask of God the Father, he, can, he will do for you. M Martha is that one that kind of gets things done. Um, is there something here that, that we're missing? Well, Martha's words to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, that if, that little two-letter word to her is the difference of life and death. If you would have been here, Lord, if you would have been here. She knows the miracles that he's done. She knows what he's capable of doing, being God in the flesh. And she says, my hope is in you, and if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Our brother would still be alive. It's though she's saying, I don't know what you can do now, but I have hope that you can do something. And in verse 23, Jesus said to her this, your brother will rise again. That's an interesting statement. Your brother will rise again. Now, her being Jewish, 
She knew what that meant as far as him being like the Messiah that she believed being in the resurrection that was coming. And so she says to him, I know in verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on that last day. Martha misses this direct meaning of Jesus, but she gives a great response here. She says, I know that one day it's coming and all the dead are gonna raise. I believe that. But Jesus is talking about now. And so this hope is given by Jesus. Martha's hope is turned to Jesus. Look at verse 25 and the first part of verse 26. Jesus said to her, great verse, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Does Martha understand everything that Jesus means by this? Probably not. But her response was a good response. The second part of 26 and verse 27, do you believe this? She or Martha said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. She understands he's the Messiah. She understands him connect, his connection with God, being God the Son, with God the Father. Now, let's look at verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to meet him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the, house, in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says the same thing her sister says. No doubt they had talked about it so often in those two or three, four days, if we could have just gotten Jesus to come, if he would have just been here. And she says the exact same thing that Martha says, Lord, if you would have been here, our brother would not have died. Jesus is greatly moved by her weeping. Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And in the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? I mean, I would have been one of those people that would have said, why didn't he come when they went and we sent somebody to him? Why didn't he just jump up and come? It was only two miles. I mean, he's made blind men see, he's raised paralyzed people, he's done all these things. Why didn't he just get up and come? It would have been so simple for him. Why didn't he just show up on time? Are you kidding me? Why did he just delay? It makes no sense. But notice what Jesus did. He said it's for the glory of God and to show who he is. And Jesus weeps. Jesus shows his compassion. He didn't say, okay, folks, you can stop your crying. I'm here now. No, no. He wept with them. He showed his love for them. He weeps for them. See, Jesus Christ can relate totally to what they're going through. We have things in our life, and sometimes we think, well, I wonder if God can relate. God relates to everything I go through in life. He relates to poverty. He had no place to lay his head. He relates to frustration. Remember when he went to the, the temple and the money changers there and he turned the tables over? He knows what it is to have frustration or, or weariness. Jesus was physically tired when he talked to the woman at the well. 
ridiculed, he was beaten and mocked and spit up on before he even got to the cross. Jesus knows what rejection is like. His own disciples turned their back on him when he was heading to the cross. Only John was the one at the crucifixion. All the rest forsook him and fled. So Jesus, in my life and your life, can relate to everything I go through. He can relate to my hurt or my sadness or my pain. So he weeps with them and then he says, where did you lay him? Where did you put him? And then in verse 38 and 39, Jesus, deeply moved again, comes to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he's been dead four days. I understand her feeling there. She's saying, Lord, do you really want to do this? I mean, you're getting ready to open up this tomb and it's not going to be good. He's been dead four days. But in verse 40, he says to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, he says a prayer, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Remember, the purpose is to show what Jesus does and who he is. And he says, I did this, Lord, Father, so that they would know that you sent me and who I am. And this is why I waited. Mary and Martha want their brother back. Jesus could have come earlier and kept him from dying, but he didn't do it for two reasons. So that people could witness the miracle and believe in the Father, and so that this miracle would bring glory to God the Father. So in verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with the linen strips and his faith wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, where does this miracle and this hope in Jesus Christ lead to? This miracle leads to their hope. It leads to their hope and it ends up leading to them worshiping. There is a, uh, in, in John chapter 12, verses one through three, let me read that to you. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of, the, of those reclining with him at, ta at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So this, this miracle of her brother being healed and raised from the dead leads them to worship. In Mark chapter 14, there is a parallel passage of this with Mary, of her anointing the feet of Jesus. And let me read verses, verse three to you. It says in Mark 14, three, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he or Jesus was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flax of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over her head. Mary takes this spike nerd and pours it over the head of Jesus and also pours it on his feet and she wipes his feet with her hair. You probably know this, but spike nerd was something that was a aromatic ambered colored oil it mainly grows in India. It's, uh, they, they crush the stems and it makes the oil come out and it's extremely expensive. And if you remember the story of the account given, 
In, the, in John chapter 12, Judas Iscariot, who ended up betraying Jesus, it talks about him and what he says about this time. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Mark 14 says that some of the ointment was wasted, so others went along with what Judas said. She wasted it because, see, this was very expensive. In fact, if you look at it, look in the background of it, the cost of this spike nerd was about 300 days of work. Now think about that. Back then, when, when burials would take place, people would have saved up maybe even for years for this funeral, knowing that one day their loved one would pass. So this ointment was used as an embalming spice of the dead. Here's an interesting thing also. The unbelievers not only said, why was this wasted? Why was this thrown away? Why was this used like this to anoint this man? But in John chapter 12, verses 9 and 11, it also shows us that they were still trying to kill Jesus and also trying to get rid of the evidence, which was Lazarus. Look at these, two, these three verses. John 12, 9 through 11. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, who he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Back then, you know that they didn't sit at a table like we do with a chair. They would actually sit on the ground and they would eat sitting down on, on the floor. And Mary goes over and anoints his head and anoints his feet and wipes him. They were in this position of reclining, you almost say. And so she takes this expensive ointment and she pours it over his head and over his feet and wipes it. The aroma would have filled the entire house. The aroma would have covered the entire house and everyone in that house would have smelled that spikenard. In your life, there's probably things where a smell will bring back a certain memory ever had that? You smell something, you go, oh boy, that makes me think of this. I think these people, from then on, every time those that were in the house, which was the disciples and also Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, I think from then on, every time they spelled Spikenard, you know what I think they thought of? Mary anointing Jesus. I think that's what came to their mind. Every time that aroma, they smelled that aroma. You see, the hope in Jesus brought the worship in Jesus. In Mark chapter 14 and verse 9, as it tells about that story of Mary anointing Jesus, notice what it says. It says in verse 9, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And we're about 2,000 years from that, and we're talking about it today. It's true. It's still true. I want to quote a song here that, that uh, is, is one of my a favorite song of mine. I love the lyrics to it. It's a song that's called Who Am I? It's by Casting Crowns, a guy named Mark Hall wrote it. I want to read you the, the, the verses of the first two verses. It says this, Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright morning star would choose to light the way for my ever wandering heart? Who am I that the eyes that see my sin would look on me with love and watch me rise again? Who am I that the voice that calmed the sea would call out through the rain and calm the storm in me? You see, this morning we have a great hope. We have Jesus Christ. 
He is our only hope. He's the God who knows our name. He's the God who feels our hurt, who takes us back when we wander away. He's the God who sees my sin, but helps me rise back up again. And he's the God that when I go through a storm in life, he calms out, he calls out and can calm that storm in my life. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know where your life is today. Your life might be going really smooth or your life might be seemingly falling apart. But let me tell you what you have. If you're a believer, you have Jesus Christ and he is your hope. And just like Martha and Mary called out and sent for him and said, he's our hope to, to raise our brother, you have Jesus Christ as your hope in your life. I want you to notice here one more verse, and this is the, the very last verse in the book of John. John 21, 25. Notice how John ends this gospel. It's pretty amazing. It says this, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Jesus, we weren't told everything he did when he was on this earth. We were told a lot. We were told enough to show the proof of who he is. God gave us enough. But John says, you know what? Jesus did so many more things. If we tried to write down everything he did, the world couldn't contain all of the books. Because the life of Jesus Christ on this earth was so magnificent that only a portion of what he did has been recorded in the scriptures. What was given in the scriptures is abundant of proof of who he is. The perfect son of God who is the sacrifice for the sin of the world. So do we realize today how great our hope is? How great our savior is? And how much he wants to help us in our life? We have a great God, a God that was so powerful that he spoke this world into, into place, just spoke it into place. That's how powerful he is. He can handle everything in my life. At the beginning of the message, I, I made this statement. If you can trust God with your eternity, can you trust him with your life on earth? I'm here to tell you that we can. I'm here to tell you that even this week, you might go through something and you need to call out to God and say, God, I don't understand, I don't know why. God, why is this happening? God, I need you. And he is your hope. And he is the one that will meet you right where you are. And he is the one that we can put our faith and our trust in, not only for our salvation, but through the rest of our life as we live out this gospel, this salvation that we live out every day. He's there for us. We have a great God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to if God has spoken to your heart, as we're going to have just a brief invitation here. I don't know where you are in your life. Maybe today you've come to this church today and you've worshiped with us today, but maybe there's never been that time in your life when you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've been to church many times. Maybe this is your first time. I want you to know this. God loves you so much. He loves you so much that Jesus Christ, His Son, being perfect as God, he came to this earth and we just talked about him today. But later on from what we talked about today, Jesus went to a cross, he was beaten and they nailed him on a cross and there was a purpose in that. The purpose was because he loved the sin, he, he paid for the sin of all mankind. He paid for every sin you have ever done or you ever will do and the same for me. And he did that for all mankind. And today Jesus with open arms says, just ask me. 
Just let me be your Savior. I love you so much. And even today, you could trust Jesus Christ, your Savior. You could ask him for the forgiveness of your sin like I did when I was 15. And you could have him come into your heart to be your Savior today. He loves you that much. With heads bowed and eyes closed, Christians, would you be praying right now? There could be somebody sitting around you that doesn't know the Lord, and this could be their day of salvation. Let's be praying right now about that. I want to give you an opportunity to trust Jesus today if you've never been saved. I'd like to help you with that. As I told you, he died on the cross about 2,000 years ago for you, and today he waits for you. He loves you. And I'm going to give you just an example prayer. This is not my prayer for you. This is just an an example of how you could pray to Jesus and ask him into your heart. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, just sitting there at, at your seat, you could pray something from your heart to God like this. Dear Lord, I believe you died on the cross for me. And right now, I ask you to forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and save me. You could pray a simple prayer like that, trusting Jesus as your Savior. We're going to just sit quietly for just a few seconds and give anyone in this auditorium an opportunity to ask Jesus Christ in their heart this morning if they need to. Let's just sit quietly and give anyone that needs to pray that opportunity. with your head bowed and your eyes closed. Is there anyone this morning, I promise I will not put you on the spot, but is there anyone this morning you would say, Tommy, I, I just prayed that prayer. I'm not going to come back there to you or anything. I just, but you're just saying, I prayed that prayer. I just now asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin, and I did ask him to come into my heart and be my Savior. If there's anyone like that with no one looking, would you just quickly just raise your hand up and put it right back down. You're just saying, I trusted Jesus as my Savior today. Anyone like that, just slip your hand up and put it down. Now, Christians, let me ask you this. If you can trust God with your eternity, can we trust Him with our life? There's, as many people are here today, there's bound to be several of us that's going through some things that we need to have a greater hope in God. We need to have His help. Even now, even this week, maybe even today. Is there anyone say, Brother Tommy, that's me. Right now, I'm just, there's things on my heart that I know I, I'm praying to God even right now about that I'm calling out to God. Anybody like that, would you slip your hand up and put it back down? Lord, I'm, I'm just praying and I'm, I'm calling out to God even right now, right now. Anybody like that, just slip your hand up. Okay, anybody else? Anyone else? I'm just praying to God right now. He's our hope. We're going to take a moment here. I'm going to pray and then we're going we're gonna to stand and Josh and the group's going to lead us in a song. And it's going to give you an opportunity to come forward and pray if you need to this morning. The altar will be open. There are people down here that will pray with you if you need someone to. But you can just come and kneel down here at the steps and pray on your own. Dear Lord, as we have this invitation time this morning, Lord, all the glory goes to you. And Lord, if there's those that are here today, they just need to call out to you on something. Lord, they just need to come and bring a prayer request to you. Maybe they have a loved one that's not saved. Maybe there's something going on in their life. And they just want to call out to Jesus Christ their hope. I pray during this invitation time that we'll do that, Lord. Uh, help us not to be too prideful to do it, Lord. Help us not to worry about coming forward, Lord. I just pray that your hand would be on this invitation as we sing this song. It's an open time, Lord. I pray that you'll work in our hearts. And Lord, we thank you for speaking to us even today from your word. 
Now bless this invitation time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.